been speaking about all things new for the last couple of weeks. And, and today is no different. We're going to carry on talking about it. And there's something incredibly important that we've got to grab this morning about what it means to be new. And I pray that God will help us to understand that. He has come not to kind of, you know, um, sugarcoat the walls and, and, and just put new putty into the frame. He's come to build something completely new in our lives. And he has done it. We've got to just understand what he has done. And so this morning, I, I want to take you to a verse in, as we talk about the new way of the Spirit. That's the title of this morning's message, the new way of the Spirit. And, and in there, there's going to be a verse that I want to firstly present to you, and then we're going to kind of build around it. So are you with me? You're going to be awake this morning. We're going to cover a whole lot of ground. Okay? You're good. Great. These days you've got to nod because I can't see your smile. Some of your smiles I love to see. And, but um, others, when you don't have you know, smile visible, please just go do that. But we're going to talk about the new way of the Spirit. And, and so we're looking at Romans chapter 7 and verse 6, and it's on the board. And we're going to read it together and, and just go slow through it. It says, but now we are released from the law. Romans chapter 7 verse 6. It says, having died to that which has held us captive. So that, so we've been released from captivity, not just to say, well, I'm free, but there's a responsibility that comes. So that, say with me, so that. So that, so there's something that happens after your release. Amen? So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Not in the, which way? Old way. Of the written code or the written letter or the law or the mosaic letter that was given to Moses in the desert. So God is saying, through Paul, Jesus has done the work and you have also died to that old way so that you may serve in a new way. If we look at what it really means, the next slide helps us understand what this new way of the Spirit means. And look, have a look at it with me. The, the Greek word for this is kainotes. Kainotes, which means the new state of life under the control of God's Spirit. That is available for you and I. Because we've been liberated from the law. And I'll tell you all another thing what we've been liberated from just now. But we've been liberated. We're free to serve under the control of God's Spirit. You and I are in that new state. And if you don't believe that, then you're actually saying the Word of God is not true. You and I are able to live in a new dispensation and live differently. And we're going to go a little bit deeper into that. So we're at chapter 7 at the moment in Romans 6. We're going to go a little bit towards 6, and we're going to go further on into Oats 8. All right, so 6, 7, and 8, 8 will be our focus this morning. So we, we're going to find two things that in chapter 6 and 7 we are liberated from. And those two things, um, next slide, is in Romans 6 we'll see that we are liberated from, from sin. And in chapter 7 we'll see that we are liberated from the law. That those two things enable us to live in this new way of the Spirit. That we are free, that we don't have to be under the control of these things anymore. But we can be, as it explained, kinotes means 
that we live in a state where the Spirit of God is in control and not sin or the law. But His Spirit. But you and I need to understand that this is what the Word of God teaches us so that we can actually live in that incredible uh, truth. So when we look at, at, at chapter 6, we're going to look at what does the victory over sin really mean? And so we see a couple of things that, according to chapter 6, this really is what it's all about. And Romans chapter 6, if you haven't turned there yet, you're welcome to go there with me. We firstly find that the thing that we are, that, that the release from sin really means in our lives is that we are dead to sin. <laughs> How's that? You're not alive unto sin as a new creation in Christ. You are dead to sin. So sin is around. How many of you know that sin is around? The presence of sin is still around. But the power of sin has no effect on your life as a born-again believer. But if you still live within this, oh, sin made me do it, and sin made me do it, sin made me do it, then you, then you actually are saying, I'm controlled by sin. But hear what Paul says in verses 1 of chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Are we, not to con are we now to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You're dead to sin through what you've done through confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's, by the way, what baptism does. It's, I died to sin and I'm alive unto God. It says here, do you not know, verse 3 of chapter 6, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. So we no longer are alive unto sin. And verse 4, yet the second thing, we are now alive unto God. It says, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in. Now oh, there it comes through again. Newness of life. Because I'm not under the control, under the dominion of sin anymore. I'm under control of God's Spirit, which brings new life into my system. So you all have the potential to live righteously and not be controlled by sin. You are free from sin. And it's not that I'm perfect now. Because I do still make the error here and there. And, and by God's grace, I say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But I don't have to live with this mindset of, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen today. How many times I'll sin again? Ridiculous. That's a wrong mindset. And just to, at the end of the day, say, Father, I'm, 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 please forgive me for all my sins. Who says that you actually did sin? We just assume that. But if we start living under the reality of this, the truth of, I'm righteous. I'm dead to sin. It doesn't mean at the end of the day I should say, I'm so sorry for my sins. If there are, absolutely. But why do we just assume? See, we live with a wrong mindset. We live with an old covenant mindset. A new covenant says, you are free from sin. The next thing, in verse 6, it says, we're no longer slaves unto sin. I'm not under the control and, and under this jurisdiction of sin. That it says, oh, I'm a slave unto this thing. I can't not sin. No, verse 6 is very clear about it. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. 
It says, nothing so that we know would no longer be enslaved to sin. So we're no longer slaves to sin. But in verse 17 to 18, it says we are slaves of righteousness. And that's a good slave to be. There are certain things that are good to be connected to. That I'm, I want to be obliged to do righteousness. That's the first thing that I want to do. Is not consider ooh, how close to sin can I get, but how righteous I can live. This is what we are able to do. And you'll read that in verse 17. And then lastly, in verse 22, it says, we now can bear godly fruit. Is that because of our victory over sin, you and I can bear amazing, amazing fruit. And you know what the sad thing is? Years ago, there was a book written by a man. And it's about an eagle little eaglet that fell out of its nest and landed amongst the turkeys. And the, tur- the eagle grew up amongst the turkeys and believed that he was a turkey. And they got the whole day. I never realized that an eagle could fly, could soar in the wings of the wind, could go up incredible heights and see the beauty of God's creation. He was just a turkey. And I'm not saying turkeys are bad, but if you're an eagle and you live in the restraints as a turkey what a sad state of affairs and i think that's what sin does to us we're we're supposed to fly and be free and be no longer slaves to sin but we we just kind of groggle around here on earth and just pick here and there because sin and our minds control us but yet we're actually eagles we're born again believers set free by the by the power of god to live victorious lives, making a huge difference for him. No matter what character you are, you have and what personality you have, you can make a difference for Jesus because you're an eagle. You're a child of God, child of the most high living God. And you don't have to go the whole day. You can fly. That's what freedom from sin does. But you know what? Freedom from sin does not make us free to sin. You've got to get that. Freedom from sin does not mean that I'm free to sin. Freedom from sin means that I'm free to live righteously and to overcome sin. And sometimes we, somebody once said, you know, we have Jesus in our hearts, but we have grandpa in our bones. And like, oh, well, that's what I've always been like, you know. I know Jesus is coming to my heart, but I've got grandpa in my bones. Or grandma for that matter. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way that we've always done it. And, and yeah, they have a problem with this, and now I also have a problem with that. And so my victory over sin is not made real because grandpa's are my bones. Now Jesus comes, and he comes to completely renew us and do a complete work. And so I don't live under the, under the um, in a sense, the curse of your forefathers. And we honor our forefathers, and we thank God for them. But I don't want to live under what they did if there was anything wrong. If there are good things that have come through them, praise the Lord, Lord, let it fall on me. But if there's anything that's not from God, I don't want that. And I want to say, no, 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 this is not my inheritance. What my inheritance is, is what I'll, see, I'll show you just now. It's found in Jesus. That's your inheritance. But you see, we gravel too much around here like a turkey, looking for our inheritance here on earth. And, oh, what did grandpa leave me? Oh, what did my father, what will they leave me? Ah, look at what Jesus has accomplished for us. That's your inheritance. That's the newness of spirit. That we're talking about. And so, 
The victory according to chapter 7 that we have over the law is seen in the following way. We now jump into chapter 7 where we read that the law only operates on those who are alive. How many of you know that? The law only operates on those who are alive. It's like, you know, you, there's somebody that did an incredible wrong act, a crime, and the legal authorities want to per- prosecute this person and, and possible imprisonment would await this person. But then the police or the, or the authorities find out that that person has died. What do they do? I mean, the case is dropped. The person that they wanted to prosecute is dead. They're no longer interested in, in summoning the man or the woman to court and to proceed. The law only has authority over the person while he is alive. Amen? <laughs> so let me say this to you. In chapter 7 and verse 1 to 3, our reading. It says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. All right? For a married woman is bound. Now there's an example or an illustration that Paul uses. He says, A married woman is bound by law to her husband while the husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. All right? That makes sense. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. God's grace on you if you're doing that. But if a husband dies, don't make him die. It just says, if he dies. All right, don't help in that process. It says she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So we're really just saying, this illustration by Paul is actually saying that the Christian is married to the law. So your spouse is the law. That's how we grow up. Can't do this, got to do that. Amen? There are various laws that we grow up with. Some of them are good. But, but Paul is saying, once you and I die, the law has no effect on us. And that's really the next point that I want to make. The law does not die, but the Christian dies to the law and then comes, into, comes alive again in Christ, but he never goes back to the old relationship with the law. And this is the challenge for us. <laughs> oh, man. We find often such false security in keeping the law. Once you and I have died with Christ and said, God, I'm, I give my life to you. I belong to you. I surrender everything. I'm dead to the law. The law has no power over me anymore. That's what we find here in verse 4. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, through identifying what Jesus has done, so that you may belong to another. We'll talk about that just now. So this leaves a Christian free to pursue an entirely different kind of relationship because I'm dead to my previous spouse, the law. I've died. The law has no effect on me anymore. But we live as though the law still does. We like to try to, God, did you see what I did? I was in church on Sunday, the 13th of February. <laughs> yeah, You noticed me, hey, Jesus. I was there. I actually sat in the front. <laughs> or close to the front. Or I sat at the back and I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I even wore my mask. It's amazing. And, and all those good things, Lord, that I, that I kept. I mean, the law, you know, Lord. <laughs> He's like, no, you, you're dead to the law. You've died with me and you're alive unto me now. So there's a new law that operates and should operate in your life. 
And it's the law of my spirit that I speak to you about your heart and about your attitude and about the deeper things. Not about the outer stuff. I speak about the inner stuff. So, ha, 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 that's a bit tough. Because the inner things are the things that nobody sees and I can hide them and I can get away with them. No, you can't with me. I want you to work at your heart. And so clearly we are enabled to be united with Christ. The third thing here about what we are set free, when we are set free from the law. Without keeping any law, we are enabled to be united with Christ. Listen to what it says. So that now that we have, in verse 4, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, so that you may belong to another. This is not talking about marriage. This is not talking about unity, being united with Christ. In order, then the full thing, to be fruit. So I'm, I belong to Christ, and through my belonging with Him, I actually am enabled to bear amazing fruit. One of the greatest liberations that need to take place in the lives of men and women is to be free from legalism. It's a story of a man who, who went and, and, and went to a, a renowned uh, tailor in town, and his name was Hans the Tailor, the story says. And, and he went to Hans the Tailor and said, listen, could you make me a suit? I, I need to go to a, a prestigious occasion, and, 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 and I'd like to have a tailor-made suit. Um, and so he has this done, and he gets back to the tailor after the week or whatever had, had gone by, and he gets there, and, and something had gone wrong with the sleeves of the jacket. It's like um, the wrong way around. And so the man tries to fit into this jacket, and he walks out, and he gets into the train. And as he arrives on the train, another person says to him, Sure, where did you have your suit made? He says, by Hans the tailor. He says, that's an amazing tailor, because he made it to, to fit a deformed person like you thinking that this is actually how the man looks. Because the suit, the sleeves of the suit were incorrectly done. And so the man fitted into it, and he had to fit according to what the suit said. And I think we walk around like that often as Christians, under this legalistic suit. Legalism says this is how you've got to look. This is what you've got to do. And we look deformed, out of shape. Not, not a laughing stock sometimes, but perhaps sometimes we are. Like, what's wrong with you, buddy? doesn't look like something is right. Like your sleeve is up there. And, and we're like, yeah, well, that's how the tailor made it. It's like, well, just tell the tailor it's wrong. And I think we do that. Hey, you know, when we do whatever it is, we, we think, um, there's a story even of, a, I read about this guy in some of the colder countries where the pastor couldn't drive the car to, to the, uh, the church that Sunday and, and because the roads were blocked because of snow, whatever, and he had, to do, he had to take his ice skates. I mean, it's strange for us, eh? To go skating on ice to the church that morning and he arrived there, other people are like, what? You skated to church? That's not how the suit looks like, my friend. You're not allowed to do that. I grew up that my Bible is going to lie this way. On top of my, my table in my, in my room. And all I did with it was brush off dust off the dust. That's all I did. I never read it. But it has to be that way around. Can't be upside down. That's unacceptable. Legalism says that's how you've got to live. You've got to go to church once a week, every week. And I think that's a great thing. But if you do it out of legalism, you're caught in a straitjacket. 
and a poorly made suit. And if you live under any of the pressures of legalism, my friend, you've got to understand what the Word of God teaches you. You're going to be free from it. To live in the liberty of what the Spirit of God has called you into. And to be more effective because that's it. You bear fruit for God when you're out of this stuff that we put on ourselves. I don't have time to go into and I don't want to, to, to mock legalism. But we've got to expose it. I've been into people's homes where they're like, oh, grew up, we can't have a TV because TV is from the devil. Oh, we can't do this. We, we can't do that. And this is from the devil. And, and the devil will come and do this if I do that. And, and the devil this and the devil that. I'm like, oh, where's God in all of this? He's just talking about the devil the whole time. Hey? Eh? And they're like, oh, we've got to go and, and dress this way to go to church. And like, you know, again, praise the Lord for those guys that prefer to dress in a certain way. Please don't put that on me. I don't want to wear a straight jacket. I don't mind a tie. I mean, just but imagine this morning if I had to wear a tie. Praise the Lord. I'm not wearing a tie. So compare these two. Chapter 5, or chapter, um, verses 5 from chapter 7. The old life, it talks about this. Romans 7 verse 5 says, For while we were, focus on were, hey? Not now. It's were. It's were. That's past tense. While we were, next one, living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members. So we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions were in operation, and aroused by the law. That's what the law does actually. It makes you more aware of sin and now you want to do it. It's weird. It's so weird. Paul says, I'm aroused by the law to have these sinful passions. And it's working in my members. Not talking about church membership. Talking about your limbs. But talking about your body. That's what it says. Next one. To bear fruit for? Death. Yeah. 7 verse 5 says that's the past life. Praise the Lord for chapter 7 and verse 6. Let's go there. First one. But now. That is in Contrast to while we were. But now. Say with me, but now. That's where you are. That's where you have been rescued to by what Jesus has done. The new way, the new life is, but now. What is that? We are released from the law. You see that? See the contrast? Please have a, it's amazing. I just, like 7.5 and 7.6 are like two opposites. The, the one side is like the old regenerate life, the old Adam, where we were living for the law, where we were trying to do things on our own, where we were trying to please God with our own efforts. But now we are released from the law. Carry on. Having died to that which has helped us captive. We've just seen it in chapter 6 and earlier in verse 7 as well. You have died to that which held you captive. Don't be captive anymore. Come on. You can live free from all that stuff. We're released from the law. Actually, it means it's made inactive in our lives. We are separated from it. That's really, when you go and study the word captive in the Greek origin, it means that you're completely released from it. You have a new jacket. Or maybe you don't have a jacket. It's like the Spirit of God is inside of you, and He's released you. We have died to that. It carries on. So that, say with me, so that again. All of this has been done so that you have a responsibility. 
Please check on your neighbor to make sure that they're awake because this is important stuff. So that they will hear this. So that they will see this. So that they may receive this. So that we may serve. How serve? Serve means I lay down my life. It's the word doulos. It's the word I, I actually, I become a slave unto you. Say, so, hey, I, I'll help you. I'll be there for you. I'm not living with my own focus and my own preferences. So that we may say of, serve in the new spirit, way of the Spirit. And then the last one is, and not in the old way of the written code. Please see these two opposites. It's beautiful. This is such liberating stuff. We've got to live within this. The new way of the Spirit is available, but you and I need to choose for this. Amen? And then in verse 8, or chapter 8 rather, if the new way of the Spirit is freedom from sin and from the law, then what does it actually look like? It's not just, this is no longer operational in my life. What is then? What is, how do I look like that I'm no longer under the dominion of sin and under the straitjacket control of the law? What does my life look like? In actual fact, what should my life look like hence? In chapter 8, it's a beautiful chapter. Beautiful, beautiful chapter. Years ago, we actually did a whole series just on Romans 8. A couple of weeks we preached. 2016 it was. And we, I think we called the series 8848 or something. Because Romans is an incredible book. And they often say that Romans is like the Himalayas of the Bible. <laughs> you know, like you want to scale the heights of God's truth, you go and read Romans. And then they say, if, if Romans are the Himalayas, then Romans 8 is Mount Everest. And Mount Everest is 8848 meters above sea level. So our series was just called, I think it's 8848. Uh, it could be 5-8, just don't quote me on that. But, but the point is, so many meters above sea level. Because in Romans 8, we find such incredible, valuable, deep theological truths about word, the Word of God, about who God is. And you know what is amazing about, about Romans 8? 20 times, 20 times, you find the word Spirit with a capital in it. So referring to Holy Spirit. And so the new way of the Spirit is found in relationship with Holy Spirit. It's not a formula. It's not a straight jacket. It is a relationship with Him. Where He comes and He convicts me of what is right and what is wrong. Not through the law, but through the written impression on my heart. The Word of God is now written on my heart. And I still want to do what is right. I still don't want to sin. But that is not my, my righteousness, not in found in that. My righteousness is found in what Christ has done for me. So let's just look in closing at a few things. What it looks like when we're free from sin and law, according to chapter 8. The first thing is, we live free from condemnation. And that's so beautifully put in, in chapter 8 in uh, Romans. It says, therefore, there is no for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the point is, Christ Jesus is the focus. It's not, hey, I'm doing so well. Look at me. Nobody can, and the word for condemnation is actually punishment or damnation or, or a, a damnatory sentence. That's an ugly thing to have. Hey? Even though the Greek word kind of sounds strange. Katakrima. 
That's what condemnation in Greek is. Katakrima. It's a a damnatory sentence over our lives because I've lived in sin. I've lived under the law. But now in Christ Jesus, if I accept what He's done, I am free from condemnation. I'm free from a a finger pointing at me and saying, ah, you're bad. You're so and so. You're this. You're that. And if you live under that, you have not completely moved into the reality and the truth of what it means to live in a new way of the Spirit. Amen? It carries on in verses 5 to 6 of chapter 8. It says, we think differently. Completely different mindset. We think differently, as I said last week, about ourselves, about God, and about people. Because now we have the Spirit of God to show us the truth. Here it says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of the flesh is death. But to set mind, your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Fruit of that is life and peace. Are you living in life and full life or in, in, in peace or not? Maybe it's the way that you're thinking. If there's no peace in your life at the moment, it could be that you have no peace with God. You've not settled in a relationship with Him, and we'd gladly help you with that. Peace with God is not a place. You don't go into the woods and find peace there. Peace is not something I do. Um, I meditate and I try to force myself into a moment of peaceful. Peace is a person. He is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Peace comes through a relationship with Him. It's not through a relationship with a particular tree out there or with crystals in the corner of our houses and all that rubbish. Peace is a person, my friend. And so if you don't have peace in your life, it could be because you have no relationship with the Prince of Peace. And we'd gladly help you with that. But if you're even battling as a, as a person who, is in, who has friendship with Jesus, maybe it's because the way that you think about the Prince of Peace is wrong. Maybe the way that you think about yourself are fleshly thoughts, and it's wrong, and there's no peace, and there's no life, because this is how you've been thinking. But in a new way of living, we think differently. And it makes us spiritually alive in verse 10 to 11. It says, and let me read this to you. This is the fruit of what it means to have the Spirit of God in us and live in a newness of His life. It says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, I mean, that's our body, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, this thing that will waste away through His Spirit who dwells in you. So we are not dead because of sin. And we are not dead anymore because of sin and legalism. We are alive now unto God. And we can live for Him and the things of God. And we can live for that which God has called us to. So in other words, there's life in each one of you as born-again believers. So that you can go and, and be alive unto people. And not just unto yourself. But the life that God has deposited in you is supposed not just to bring hope to your life, but hope to others. And so now we, with this life in us, we make a difference in the world that we're in. We're alive unto our people closest to us. 
our spouses, our children. We bring life into their midst. So that's the practical outworking of what it means to be in the new way of the Spirit. Is that I'm alive. It's like, uh, you know, never see them. We, they never spend time with us. And we can never enter into friendship with anybody because I'm just living for myself. But I'm actually supposed to be alive for you. So that you will benefit from the life that I have. And not that I go around and I boast about it. It's just that I'm alive. I'm made alive unto God and God's purposes. I'm not alive just to sit in my own cabin and do my own thing and disconnect myself completely from people. That's not what the life of God has accomplished in me. I've got life so that I can reflect life. That's why church is so incredibly important. Not just coming to a gathering, but being part of what God does through us. We are alive for the benefit of others. We notice others. We, we engage others. We rejoice with others. We, we cry with others. We embrace others. Because there's life in us. It carries on. It says we have new identity and a sense of belonging. And Paul just uses these amazing words where he says, Now because of the Spirit of God in you, we are all led, verse 14, by the Spirit of God to be sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So our identity comes through God saying, I'm calling you into my household. The new way of the spirit is that I have a place, that I have identity, and I have a sense of belonging. It says also in verse 16 that he comes and he witnesses that this is what we have been called into. In verse 16 it says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So in other words, we have a witness to our new identity and our new inheritance. And verse 17 talks about this inheritance, by the way, that doesn't come through grandpa and grandma firstly, but it comes through Jesus Christ. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and follow heirs with Christ. But bear in mind, if I reap I want to reap the benefit of what He's done for me, but I also want to live the life that He's called me to. It says, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also be glorified with Him. So part of my inheritance is, it's not always going to be so simple and so easy. Part of our theology as believers is that we, there is suffering around us. And we've got to walk through it and we've got to be strong through it and not give in when it comes. Because God is with us. And then finally, or the last, second last one, it says, we have someone who helps us in our spiritual exercises. In verse 26, he helps us. The Spirit, when we are weak, he comes. This is what life in the Spirit is. We, we say, God, I don't know what to pray, but please help me to pray, and please pray for me and, and help me. And he comes and he helps us in these exercises. And then lastly, there's this beautiful verse that we so often quote. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And those who are called, for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to say, that we live in this new life of the Spirit. We live with an unquestionable assurance about God's faithfulness. Why? Because it says, and we know. And we know. That for those who love God, all things work out, work together for good. All things. Good things. Bad things. All things. How do I? I have this unquestionable assurance about His faithfulness. I know that I know that I know. When I go through tough times, it's not, oh, where are you, God? I know 
that in all things, I know that in bad things, I know that in good things, I'm absolutely assured of His faithfulness. That's the new life of the Spirit. And if you and I come and we often question God in this moment of, of, of confusion and of agony and of pain and of loss, we're not completely assured. We have a questionable assurance about His faithfulness. And the new life reality has not entered into my life yet. So please take time to go through Romans 6, 7, and 8 and engage in the new life, the life with the Spirit. Never go back to the old. Don't go back to the old. Sometimes the old was okay. I remember when I was in the army, they gave us these things called, what we call them, dog's biscuits. Because they were so hard that it takes like a half an hour to soften them. And then when you have taken a half an hour, you still got to wrestle through eating them. And like, but they were great then, because that's all we had. That's all we had. You got to eat your dog biscuits. I don't want to go back to that. Because you know what? I found something better. There are better biscuits around. Amen? I don't have to go look for a dog. Oh, I wish I had a dog biscuit again. <laughs> you keep half an hour in the water. We didn't, only had water, by the way, that we could dip it in. Now, who wants to eat that stuff? I found something better. Why do you get stuck under sin and under the law if you found something better? Come on. The new way and the new life to live with the Holy Spirit is the better way. But you and I need to engage what it means to live this kind of life. You've got to go into the Word and go and read for yourself. You can't just depend on this 40-minute preach and say, well, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine now. No, no, it's a constant engaging of the truth. And the Word says, Jesus says clearly, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You can't just say, well, it is truth. I'll know that it will work somewhere. No, no, it's a growing in that knowledge, my friend, that will help you to walk into the newness of this. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, help us not to live on dog biscuits. Help us not to be caught in stray jackets. Jesus, I pray. I pray, Father, that you will set us free this morning from past thinking. Help us to be released into a new thinking. Jesus, we thank you. For your incredible grace, your kindness, your goodness. I thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that we will go and mull over this and let it sink into our hearts. That it will produce a desire for the new way of the Spirit. And thank you, God, for there where we are, started tasting of this. Help us not to ever, ever stop pursuing your way. Pray this morning, Father, that we will know that there is something better than living under the dominion of sin and under the control of the law. And that you've brought us into something much, much better. But now we are free. But now we have been liberated. Once we were captive, but now we've been called to walk in this new way of the Spirit, the newness of the Spirit completely new. Father, I pray that we will live in that truth. 
and walk in it and engage people with this truth. And the way that we present ourselves to people will be from this truth. Father, we trust you for this. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.